Thanks for listening to the Mercy Church Podcast. If you're in the area, we want to invite you to join us the last weekend in March as we celebrate Good Friday and Easter Sunday. Good Friday services will be at 6 p.m. on Friday evening. And then on Sunday morning, we invite you to join us for a time of worship, a message, and baptisms. Bring your friends, your family, and if you feel so led, invite your coworker, cashier, or barista to join you. Services will be held at regular service times at all campuses. To learn more, visit mercycharlotte.com slash events. Again, that's mercycharlotte.com slash events. Good morning, Mercy family. Good morning. Good morning to our Northeast family. Uh, listen, I am so excited for this morning. What I want to do before I jump into our message is invite you, if you're newer with us, to something right after our service that we call Starting Point. Uh, this is at both of our campuses right after the service. It's basically an orientation of sorts to who we are as a church. I'll be leading it here at Providence Road. Pastor Joseph will be leading it there at Northeast. It's a chance to hear our mission, vision, values, basically what we are about and to get your questions answered, okay? Because we believe everybody should have a church home. And we want to be the church for anybody, but we know we're not the church for everybody. We want to help you figure that out if that's here or help you find a local church. It's a big deal to us. So if you're newer with us, here's the good news. If you came with a friend this morning, like they brought you to church, you met them here. Here's the deal. They will stay after with you at starting point. Okay. Then they will take you to lunch and pay. Because now the pastor has said that, right? So it's a good deal for you uh, to say, you know, uh, but we do. We want you to have a church home and maybe that's here. We'd love to help you figure that out. Uh, as we get into our message for today and into our text, we're going to be over in 2 Samuel chapter 9. I've been thinking about how to introduce this and I just want to make it like real easy for us. This is a very simple, powerful, wonderful um, story in God's word that um, basically it comes down to two things. Often you'll hear me say this. I feel like there are two groups of people when we gather together. Um, those that have not yet experienced God's love and those that have and need to be reminded of it. And that's, that's us. And some of you come in today and you've never really experienced the love of God for you. You've never received God's love. And maybe you came in here even like hoping to find something because what you've been doing ain't been working. Um, maybe you come in broken. Maybe you come in needing forgiveness, needing love. Um, needing hope, healing, something like that. I'm telling you, you are going to see the love of God and have the opportunity to receive it today. It's going to be right there for you. And there are those of you that have experienced God's love before. You've received the forgiveness found in Christ. And I believe this text today, this little short 13 verse chapter of scripture is going to revive your heart um, and your affection for Christ in a way that just is unlike most of what I've studied and read. It is a powerful, short, little um, story, little just snippet that I think, here's what I think we're gonna get out of it. I'm gonna give you the main idea just right out front. It's that those who have experienced God's love will practice God's love. Those who have experienced God's love will be ones who practice God's love. That's our main idea because you, you get changed by that. And people who are changed by the love of God, they'll start to put it on display. We'll have three parts. Let me give you a map for where we're going uh, today in our message. It's just three parts to it. First, we'll just go through 2 Samuel 9. We'll look at it, see what God has for us there in that chapter. 
And then we'll see how this whole chapter is a foreshadowing. It's pointing towards God's love for us in Christ. And then lastly, we'll put some handles on it, give you some application of how do I walk out of here and actually begin to practice God's love, all right? That's what we're gonna do. We'll start part one of the message in 2 Samuel 9. Our main character, our main guy, David, has recently experienced God's love for him and it has changed him. That's what we saw last week, right? What we saw last week is he went to worship and dance before the Lord with no dignity, left that all behind and just worshiped, right? And after experiencing that love, he's now compelled to go and practice that love towards another. Here's verse one, 2 Samuel 9. David asked, is there anyone remaining from the family of Saul I can show kindness to for Jonathan's sake? All right, I got to get you caught up if you're newer to our church because we've been in this text for a little bit. We've been following David's life for some time. In fact, some of you that have been with us have been like, why have we been in this for so long? And the simple answer is because there's so much in here for us. David is talked about more than anybody else in scripture. So let's talk about the background to 2 Samuel 9 so everybody understands what's going on in this question. He says, anyone remaining from the family of Saul. Saul was the guy who was king before David. David was really close with Saul, but after God decided David would be the future king and not a descendant of Saul, like one of Saul's sons, Saul goes crazy. And he tries to kill David over and over, hunted him, everything else. Saul went from David's close friend, mentor, father figure to an enemy real fast. So you got to catch this. David is asking to show kindness to a descendant of his mortal enemy. Why? Why would David do this? What well, says for Jonathan's sake? See, in the middle of all that drama where Saul is trying to kill David, Man, David became close friends with Saul's son, Jonathan. We saw that back in 1 Samuel chapter 20. Saul scheming to kill David. And the only hope David has to not die is his buddy, Jonathan. That David says as much. So Jonathan pledges a friendship commitment, a loyalty, an oath to his friend David and agrees that he's going to help David escape the evil schemes of his father. This is it, 1 Samuel 20, 14 and 15. Jonathan pledges his covenant and asks for one back from David. He says, if I continue to live, show me kindness from the Lord. Same word as kindness that we just saw a second ago in our text for today. But if I die, don't ever withdraw your kindness from my household. Not even when the Lord cuts off every one of David's enemies from the face of the earth. I told you a couple months ago, this is gonna be important. A little bit later, here's the later we're now in. Jonathan loved David. That word in verse 14 is uh, the Hebrew word. This is going to be one little Hebrew lesson uh, for today. That word kindness is chesed, okay? I thought about getting us to all pronounce that, but you would spit on the person in front of you. So if you're on an aisle or front row, you can practice. Nobody else, okay? Um, chesed, it's, it's basically one Hebrew word, and we don't have a good English equivalent, so we like translate it multiple ways. It means loving kindness. It means steadfast love. It means faithful love. That all, this, all that compacted into this one thing. But here's the deal. This is the word that's used in the Old Testament to talk about God's love towards us a lot. Like Lamentations 3.22, the steadfast love of the Lord, that's the chesed of the Lord, never ceases. His mercies are new every morning. Jonathan committed himself to David. When he did, he committed to show faithful, loving kindness to David. 
And in that commitment, here's what happened in that moment. Jonathan, who is the prince, who has a royal robe as a prince, takes off his royal robe and lays it down at David's feet as if to say, I'm taking off my right to the throne to serve you. And in this covenant, David then agrees to show that kind of hesed love to Jonathan's house. Well, as we have learned sometimes later, John, sometime later, Jonathan gets caught in a battle with the Philistines. He, all of his brothers and his dad, Saul, they all die. The last, the last we hear about Jonathan is his death until this passage. Now, back to 2 Samuel 9, okay? With that, I'll give you the summary. Here's the summary of what's going on coming to this moment that we're out now in with David. King David is searching for a way to bless his enemy because of the self-sacrificing loving kindness he'd experienced from his friend. Catch this, he's looking for a way to bless his enemy because of the self-sacrificing loving kindness that he'd experienced from his friend. And the thing that Jonathan had prophesied became true. David has been given rest from all of his enemies. His mind goes back to Jonathan who showed him chesed. And listen to me, nobody is asking David to make good on that promise. Nobody's looking for him to. Nobody's asking him to hold up his word. There's no need. It's David's love for Jonathan because of the love that he'd been shown. It compels him to go search for somebody that he can bless, that he can show that kindness to. Verse two, there was a servant of Saul's family named Ziba. They summoned him to David. And the king said to him, are you Ziba? I am your servant, he replied. So the king asked, is there anyone left of Saul's family that I can show the kindness of God to? Ziba said to the king, there is still Jonathan's son who was injured in both feet. That's the son from 2 Samuel 4 when he was small, like just a little child, his nanny was carrying him. There's an enemy raid happening in the camp. She's carrying him, trying to run away, and she drops him, and it breaks both of his feet, and he's been crippled ever since. He's now a grown man. He hasn't walked since that day, though. For that day, you got to remember back in this time, strength, your physical strength and prowess, that's what earned you power. Being crippled is usually a sentence to being an obscure nobody that people didn't care about or think on. Can you imagine, <laughs> I was thinking about this, like David's nonverbals when Ziba tells him there's a son of Jonathan. He's like, oh, Jonathan's son? Verse four, the king asked him, where is he? Ziba answered the king, you'll find him in Lodabar at the house of Machir, son of Amiel. So King David had him brought from the house of Machir, son of Amiel and Lodabar. Mephibosheth, son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David. He fell face down and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, I want you to see what the author is telling us. Lodabar means no thing, all right? Nothing, that's Lodabar. The name Mephibosheth means spreader of shame. Here's what I want you to catch. David's about to totally change, about to show loving kindness to the life of a man whose present situation can best be described as nobody from nowhere. That's the situation David was in when the prophet Samuel came along and anointed him king. Isn't that wild? The only difference is that this is the son, the son of Jonathan is the last remaining descendant of David's fiercest enemy. That'd be a strike against Mephibosheth, not for Mephibosheth. And by the way, this is a tough name to say over and over again, and I'm gonna say it a lot in this message, okay? 
Um, you should have heard one of your pastors this week trying to pronounce this, and we we're doing our sermon planning meeting. Um, <laughs> he was trying to pronounce it two or three times, and he's just fumbling over it, and I know I'll do it today. And eventually he goes, you know what, man? I just, I'm going to give him a nickname. I'm going to take his first syllable, last syllable. I'll just put it together. We're going to call him meth. And I was like, man, that's not going to work because we can't have David roaming the countryside looking for meth. And then, you know, you're going to see him at the table. Every time at the table, meth was there. I'm like, yeah, it's not, we're going to need something different. But um, and I won't tell you where that pastor lives, but his name is Richard Barnes. And you can feel free to talk to him about it later. Um, so good, man. So um, Mephibosheth, it is. Give me some grace today as we go through it. So he replied, I am your servant. He replied, don't be afraid, David said to him, since I intend to show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan, I will restore to you all your grandfather Saul's fields and you will always eat meals at my table. Mephibosheth paid homage and said, what is your servant that you take an interest in a dead dog like me? Now, why would Mephibosheth be afraid? Why did he fall down so quickly at David's court? Because y'all, common practice in that day is when a new king comes to power, he wipes out the descendants of the now deposed king as a way of consolidating power for the future, like for his future generations. Now, this isn't common practice in God's people because David's only the second king. They're still new to this. But this is how it went in culture at large. If Mephibosheth was expecting anything, it was, well, I'm being brought in because I'm the last remaining descendant. He's coming in to be executed. And when in expecting death, instead, David says, I'm going to show you chesed. I'm going to show you loving kindness. Why? Because your dad, Jonathan, showed it to me. All, and by the way, all David needed to do to honor his commitment to Jonathan was just let the guy live. If he lets Mephibosheth live, then he's good. That would be the fulfillment of the covenant. But he goes way beyond that. He lavishes riches on his enemy. The family fortune he didn't deserve. And this blows Mephibosheth away. Why would you take interest in a dead dog like me? Because those who have experienced undeserved love will become ones who practice undeserved love. Verse nine. Then the king summoned Saul's attendant Ziba and said to him, I've given to your master's grandson all that belonged to Saul and his family. You, your sons, and your servants are to work the ground for him, and you're to bring in the crops so your master's grandson will have food to eat. But Mephibosheth, your master's grandson, is always to eat at my table. Now, Ziba had 15 sons and 20 servants. He said to the king, your servant will do all my lord the king commands. The reason that context of like, here's how big Ziba's family was, the reason that's in there is so that you can get an idea of how big of a tract of land is being given to Mephibosheth. There's enough work and enough food and produce that's going to come out of this to feed a whole lot of people. So Mephibosheth ate at David's table, just like one of the, look at this, just like one of the king's sons. Mephibosheth had a young son whose name was Micah. All those living in Ziba's house were Mephibosheth's servants. However, Mephibosheth lived in Jerusalem because he always ate at the king's table and his feet had been injured. Three times right there at the end of this little chapter, David says Mephibosheth will eat at his table. The end of verse 11 cues what it really means. He'll eat at the table just like one of the king's sons. In other words, David is adopting Mephibosheth into his household. 
This is incredibly generous, far beyond anything required of David. Here's the summary, y'all, of what has happened in this short chapter. In an act of loving kindness, the helpless enemy is adopted by the king as a son who now eats at the king's table. Isn't that amazing? In an act of loving kindness, the helpless enemy is adopted by the king as a son who now eats at the king's table. Let me lead us into part two of the sermon. I told you part one, we see what 2 Samuel 9 is about. Part two, let me show you how this foreshadows Jesus. The gospel message that all scripture builds to and announces and celebrates and centers on is that you and I, all of us have rebelled against God. We've rejected God as our king. That's what the Bible calls sin. It's just choosing my way over God's way. It's a way of saying, I'm the one on the throne, not God. Romans 5.10 goes so far as to say, we are enemies of God. And the penalty for our sin is death. But Ephesians 2 says that we who are God's enemies, look what it says. You were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you previously walked according to the ways of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. And by the way, lest you think I'm just talking to you, the apostle Paul is so kind to include all of us in this. We too, all of us, previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts. We were by nature children of wrath as others were also, but God who is rich in mercy because of the great love he had for us. He made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You are saved by grace. We, when we were children of the enemy, and even more than just children, active participants in our father's evil activity, God stepped in. Why did he step in? Why did he step in? Because of his hesed, because of his love, his great loving kindness that he had for me and you. He sacrificed his son on the cross so that we could be brought to his table. See, like Jonathan, catch what's happening. Just like Jonathan, Jesus took off his royal robe and came down from heaven. Did not consider Philippians 2, equality with God, a thing to be grasped, but instead humbled himself. Took off his robe to serve us. Just like David, he came to us when we were helpless. We weren't even looking for him. He comes to us, goes looking for us when we couldn't do anything for ourselves. And like David, Romans 8 says, he adopted us into his family. Read it this week. You did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, Romans 8, 15. Instead, you received the spirit of adoption by whom we can cry out, Abba, Father. You are a son or daughter of God who's invited to his table. See, the night before his crucifixion, Jesus gathers the disciples where? Around the table. He gathers them around the table. And it says at the table that his people, that's where he tells them that they're to remember his work done for them. It is to the table, to the place of fellowship for sons and daughters that Jesus invites you. You cannot come on your own merit. On your own, you are enemies of God, but God has come for you. And he said, you can come to the table. And by the way, it's not just a table in this life. It's a forever table. 
And the way scripture starts to close, Revelation 19, six through nine, I heard something. This is John, the writer. He's seeing God's giving him a picture of what eternity is gonna be like. He said, I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, the sound of cascading waters, the rumbling of loud thunder saying, hallelujah, because our Lord God, the almighty reigns. And then what's our response? Let us be glad, rejoice, give him glory because the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride, that's the church, the lamb, the groom, that's Jesus. His bride, the church has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear because she was cleansed from all unrighteousness, bright and pure. The fine linen also represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write this, blessed are those invited to the marriage feast of the lamb. And he also said to me, these words of God are true. The Bible doesn't do that after every sentence, though all the Bible's words are true. There's sometimes where it's just a point of emphasis. These words are true. What I'm trying to show is at the end of all things, you and I who were enemies of God, but reconciled to God through the loving chesed of Jesus will dine with Jesus as a bride does with her groom at the wedding reception, at the wedding feast, a banquet and the occasion is our union with Christ that we long for, we finally experience face-to-face. Blessed are those who are invited to that table. And these words of God are true. Here's my point. You will never practice God's love like David until you understand that you are Mephibosheth. You'll never practice God's love and kindness like David until you understand you're Mephibosheth. That's my big job here as your pastor, to just show you God's love for you. If I can get you to see that, I believe the spirit of God will start producing all kinds of loving kindness in your life. It would be much easier as a preacher to just say, be like David. And in fact, in a second, I'm gonna basically say that, okay? Well, but I want you to remember, if you remember back to our sermon, um, 1 Samuel 17, David and Goliath, right? It's a right and good application to say, follow in. It's good to have models that we see in scripture to follow but there's a deeper meaning that changes everything. And the deeper meaning is that you're not David. David is a foreshadowing of Jesus. And in this story, we're not David, we're Mephibosheth. The undeserving recipients of God's mercy, God's adoption, and ultimately we are the recipients of the only great and lasting inheritance and that's the kingdom of heaven. Do you know the love of God for you? Have you experienced God's love? On your, it's, you don't deserve it. <laughs> but in his kindness and love, he's extended it to you. Think about last week, this week. Last week, I told you God's love should lead you to worship, to sing and dance. Leave your pride at the door. Worship your God. This week, I'm telling you to practice the love of God that you've been changed by because it's your act of worship. Listen, I want to talk in a second to some of you that really do when I say you're Mephibosheth, you don't need a lot of convincing on that. All of us are, but you're feeling it right now. I just want you to know you don't. <laughs> Mephibosheth can't pick himself up and get himself right. He can't. He's helpless. You don't need to pick yourself up so that the king will consider you worthy of an embrace. Whether you need healing, forgiveness, maybe you feel broken, you need mercy. I just want you to hear he loves you. God loves loves you. He has shown that love for you, announced that love for you by giving his one and only son to pay for your sins. He announced 
the power of his love for you in the resurrection of Christ. And he says, you can have forgiveness of your sins and new life in Christ if you just receive it. Just receive it. Will you receive his loving kindness? Will you surrender your right to your throne and gladly come to God's table? Not in your strength, but in God's. That's what takes us to the third part of this. And honestly, though, for some of you, the third part of this sermon is going to be background while you're responding. And you should maybe pray now and just say, God, I receive your love. This is what I was here for today. It's just to receive your love. But here's the, here's the third part of our sermon. I told you we work towards application. We've seen 2 Samuel 9. We've seen how it points to Jesus. Let's put it into practice. We've got to remember our main point. People change by God's love. We'll practice God's love. I want you to walk away with the next step for how are you going to practice God's love? Let's talk about the, I'm just going to show you some obvious connections and points of application. They're just straight out of the passage, but there are many that even go beyond this. Okay. Here's a couple of obvious ones. The first one is a big one. Maybe God's calling you to you and your family to adoption. That's what happens in second Samuel nine. And that's our identity in Christ. We got a lot of families in our church who have adopted others who are foster parents. I was talking with one of those families this week. Um, and I'll just tell you, this is hard work. This is not something you just walk into real easily. In fact, um, this, this guy in our church has got two sons that are adopted. He said, man, not every Christian family should do it. Just because it, it's a hard, it's a calling on your life. He said, not everybody should do it, but every Christian should support it. Maybe God's calling you to adopt or foster and y'all been talking a little bit about it as a family. And this is the moment where God is calling you to take that next step. We'd love to help you figure that out. You come talk to one of your pastors, we'll point you in the right direction. Maybe you need to support a family going through adoption, whether that's financially or just lending a hand because it's so hard. Maybe it's adoption. Maybe you need to give your time to serving those in need in our community right here in our, in our city. One of our members this week shared a story with me about how he spent the past six years serving with the Charlotte Dream Center, going out every week, just loving on and helping families in need. A few weeks ago, helped him get a driveway because all they had was a track of mud in one, one family's spot and they needed just a simple thing like a driveway. Sends me an email and I was, I was just like, man, what's, what's motivating you? He's like, well, you know, we learned in college all about how to share the gospel and this is such a great outlet, so I thought I'd just do it. Those who've been changed by God's love, practice God's love. We've seen people saved through uh, just this one guy's time there. Some of you are part of our church because of that. It's just God's love at work. Maybe your next step is financial generosity. David lavishes this gift, not in response, by the way, not to a need. He didn't see like a really compelling video with Sarah McLaughlin in the background, you know, arms of the angels situation. And then he gave. No, no. He wants to give. He is looking. This gift is sacrificial. He gives up a whole lot of land. A whole lot of land means a whole lot of money. He's doing it because people who have experienced God's love practice God's love. I think of the woman who came to Jesus and poured out that really expensive perfume, just poured it out on his feet. Jesus wasn't going around like, hey guys, I need somebody to dump expensive perfume on my feet. Anybody, and she's like begrudgingly, well, nobody's saying they'll do it, so I'll get, you know. No, not at all. She saw Jesus, and it was an act of worship. An act of worship because he was worthy, and maybe you need to do that. 
give back to God in a manner that is worthy of who he is. Maybe it's not a big gift, just a commitment to regular giving, not because you see a need, but because God calls you to it and because he's worthy. And through that, God is going, this is, God's amazing. He will start to change your life by breaking you free from some of those things that tend to grab hold of you, those material things that grab hold of all of us. Has God's generosity towards you changed you? Does your life show it? Maybe, some of y'all do not want to hear this. I've got two more that I'll give you. Maybe your next step is forgiveness. Maybe it's forgiveness. This is hard. David doesn't carry out, you know, justice on his enemy's descendant. He brings him instead into his house. There's a reconciliation between Saul's house and David's house. Maybe you need to forgive someone, not because they deserve it, but because you've been forgiven. And those who have been changed by God's love, practice God's love. Forgiven people forgive. And I am not trying to oversimplify whatever pain you have experienced in that. I'm not, I don't know your story. The only thing I know about your story is that if you were a Christian, you were an enemy of God at your own doing and God extended forgiveness to you when you didn't deserve it. Everything else beyond that, I would say, talk to a friend, talk to a pastor and say, I got to forgive, but these are all the things at play, but let God's hesed guide you towards your forgiveness. And lastly, maybe your next step is just an act of kindness to practice God's hesed love, not because there's a need, but because you have been loved. What act of kindness can you show this week? Look, there's a lot of times that I'll talk about uh, these application as like soul work because we don't want to talk about homework anymore because we worked from home for too long. And so we call it soul work, right? Well, here's your soul work for this week to put all that into practice. In light of God's love towards me, here's how I'm going to practice God's love this week. And then it's a prompt and you fill in the blank. And you got to tell somebody. Start with the Lord then tell somebody, hold me accountable. This is the step I want to take. Let's put it into practice. Maybe it's learning more about adoption. Maybe it's learning more about one of our community engagement partners like the Dream Center. Maybe it's get whatever. We can, <laughs> our pastors and staff team are here to help you out with any of those. Tell a friend, maybe y'all can do it together. Whatever it is, let's take a next step. Now here's how we're going to land. We're going to land this thing by taking communion together. It wasn't on the schedule. I just couldn't help it though, y'all, studying this. I love the communion table because as we gather around the communion table, we do so as just a bunch of Mephibosheths, recipients of the chesed love we didn't deserve. And it's this unique, gosh, it's this unique form of worship that Jesus gave us where you don't just hear about God's love. You don't just hear your theology, you experience it. You, you really do. And it's a tangible, personal encounter with God's love. So much of Jesus's ministry was spent going to the outsider and bringing them close, just like his ancestor and forerunner David did with Mephibosheth. And at the communion table, Jesus sat with some everyday disciples who decided, yes, I choose Jesus. He loved me first. He came to me. He invited me to the table, but each of them had to accept the invitation. They couldn't just be around Jesus. They had to say yes or no to what the table meant. 
They had to say yes to his body given for them. Yes to his blood shed, not just for their protection, but for the forgiveness of sin. And that's the invitation to you today is to eat in remembrance of the Hesed love of Christ for you and an anticipation of the day where we will eat at the wedding feast with Jesus himself reunited with the saints of old. The way the whole Bible ends, both the spirit and the brides, Revelation twenty two seventeen. both the spirit and the bride say, come. Let anyone who hears say, come. Let the one who is thirsty, come. Let the one who desires to take the water of life freely, come. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I'm coming soon. Amen. Come Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with everyone. Amen. That's how the Bible closes. It's in this meal. And as we celebrate this meal, you are invited. If you have given your life to Christ, you're invited to take it. If you haven't, listen, maybe first you need to receive God's love. This is a meal of remembrance and anticipation. Let me invite you to experience your theology You come to the table like this. You come to the table repentant. Some of you, today is the day where your relationship with Jesus starts. Like I said, this all points. Second Samuel 9 is all just pointing to Jesus, to God's love for you. The only way though to the table is through the cross. So if you've never placed your faith in Christ, I want to say go to him before you come to his table. Receive God's love for you. I'll lead you through that prayer in just a second where you can receive God's love and then come and receive, or we'll pass it around, receive as a son or daughter adopted to the table of God. Come repentant, come to the table thankful. Thankful, your salvation is one, no more striving. You've been invited not to any table, to the king's table. The protection and security the peace that comes from sitting at the king's table and then come hopeful. See, this all ends why I shared revelation with you. It's because this life is hard. Sometimes some weeks harder than others. And so we gather and we refix our eyes each week on eternity. So come to the table today, hopeful. Hopeful that this all really does in this, in this beautiful, eternal victory that our hearts are pounding for. You know, the, the course communion table was Christ basically changing the Passover meal and infusing it with new meaning. The Passover meal, when the people of Israel were delivered, they had this saying, on this day, we have been delivered and we will be delivered. And that became the saying of the church. On this day, we have been delivered from our sin and we will be delivered one day. We'll be with God in glory. The invitation to the table is yours. Let me pray for you. Pastor Joseph's gonna lead us in the taking over at Northeast and I'll lead it here. Let's pray. Let me, as you get into a posture of prayer, bow your head. I wanna give you a chance to respond first to the Lord, just in prayer and then I'll lead you in the taking of the elements. Would you, if you've never given your life to Christ, 
You've never received God's love. The invitation is there for you. Will you receive it today? Don't delay it. I can't help but think that some of you came in here not knowing that's what you were going to be confronted with, but you can tell God's working on your heart. Respond to him today. It's a simple prayer. God, I believe that I am a sinner. I, I, I am an enemy of yours because I chose my way over your way. But I believe that in response to that, you sent me love. When you sent your son Christ, you sent love. And I receive, I repent of my sin. I'm turning from my sin and I'm receiving the loving kindness, the forgiveness of Christ. Right there, your own heart and mind. I believe he rose again and I'm receiving new life in him. If you've already received that love, Christian, I just want you to worship him. Thank you, God. Remember back to maybe the day that you gave your life to Christ. Let your heart be revived again that you get to gather around the king's table. This is not just a symbol. It is a symbol. It is a sacred symbol where your heart should be reignited, revived in your worship of God. So worship him. Thank you, God, for what you've done. Thank you for your grace, Father. We praise you in Christ's holy name. Amen. Amen.